0: And one of the things we get to celebrate right now is as both of us are Baptist, and for the first time in history, a Protestant, not only Protestant, but Baptist College won the Men's NCAA Championship. That's a pretty big deal. That is a really big deal. When I was a youth pastor in Corpus
1: Christi, a lot of the folks at the church I served at were Baylor folks. Now, they didn't say Baylor. They, they would call it Baylor. That's how they said it, Bayla. Bayla, Bayla. I went to. Where do you go to? Where'd you go to school? Bayla, right? And so. Bayla. You know, back then there was kind of like there was a tension. Is Baylor really a Baptist school or is it not a Baptist school? But it seems like after the the, almost the complete decimation of the men's basketball team under Coach Drew, it's rebuilt. These guys seem to be like really good dudes for the most part. I saw Butler, the guy that scored all the points last night, actually teaches a Sunday school class. That's pretty crazy. I've never seen men when they so they played the University of Arkansas and knocked us out. When I it was like the first five minutes of that game, I was like, we are not going to be Baylor. The, the speed, the depth, the way they spread the court, the intensity, everybody that they put on the court can can play. Even the white guy with a large mullet can play. Um, <laughs> congratulations and hats off to the Baylor Bears.
0: Yeah. amazing run. Absolutely. I think everybody that maybe didn't want to claim Baylor as Baptist is probably now, at least for now, claiming them as as Baptist.
1: Absolutely.
0: I found it interesting that it was a Baptist college against a Jesuit Catholic college. Pretty fascinating.
1: Well, all of the Baptist groups that I'm on on Facebook said Baylor's going to win because Baptists dunk and Catholics don't. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> so i guess i guess that was an advantage here we go There we go yeah absolutely well good uh bob I, I know you've been feeling a little bit under the weather the past couple of days but you were tested negative for covid i mean are you convinced that it wasn't covid or are you convinced that it was covid
1: i have no idea you know i i think uh I got sick on Good Friday and missed Easter, first Easter mm-hmm. I've ever missed in my, probably in my entire life of being uh, born here and walking the earth and uh, called the kid that I discipled when he was in my Sunday school class in the 10th grade and uh, he covered for me and our elder team did a great job. Barb was, Barb was like super champ of calling out directions and texting people and so the church the church really did a great job, and super thankful. Man, I don't know. I'm I'm still. I guess I'm about seventy five percent. I'm. At, we're at the end of a day here, and I'm just kind of exhausted. So I feel there's spurts of the day that I feel really good, and then, you know, like I was telling you earlier, like I, I got up in the morning, ate breakfast, took a shower, got ready, sat in my chair, and I'm like, well, I think I'm done. I mean, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: <laughs> well, good. Well, good. I appreciate you making the time to come to the boot camp because I mean, I, I know. Look, you can miss Easter Sunday, but you can't. You can't miss an episode of the boot camp. You cannot. <laughs> I'm glad you got your priorities where they're supposed to be. Well, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> no, I, I hate that you had to miss Easter Sunday, but I'm glad. Ah, that just backs up what we always say about the importance of discipleship and uh, you know just how cool that. You got to hand that to somebody that you uh, have discipled. So that's really cool. I want to talk about something else really cool that you taught me that I I think would be great for us to talk about for a few episodes. One of the things we've talked about several times is that all church revitalization, all church replanting, really a lot of pastoral leadership in general is, is ultimately change leadership, right? We're now, we're changed leadership towards the fullness and maturity of Christ, Change leadership through discipleship, but it still changed leadership. And one of the big things that we struggle with in church leadership in general is resistance to change. We come into congregations that we want to lead in a certain direction, but there's a resistance to change. We've mentioned on here before, John Cotter wrote, something a long long time ago with for the Harvard Business Review called leading change and he talks about creating a sense of urgency and he says i believe i remember this correctly that when change leadership efforts fail like he he's credits like 70% of the time it's it's probably due to a, a lack of urgency or insufficient sense of urgency and uh, so he even later came back and wrote a whole nother book on creating a sense of urgency. And that's always been kind of a thing. But I recently heard you talking and uh, you, sh- you didn't use that phrase, a sense of urgency. You used a different phrase. And I really liked it because I think it's so much more accurate to the work that we do, because what we do is different than change leadership in a business or, or any other organization. And so, because there's just something deeper to what we're doing. And so, you didn't use that. What what was the phrase that you used, Bob? Yeah, I used the word holy
1: discontent. Mm. And Mm. I think, really, when I I thought about change, I, I was tasked with speaking to a group of associational leaders and pastors and talking about what is it that helps create momentum for change. And so specifically in the context of a replant or a revitalization and so i i think as i looked at that and as i began to think about the scriptures and i began to think about the process for uh, for me and for us i really started with this idea of holy discontent so let me let me give the whole change equation that mm-hmm. we're going to walk through and then i'll talk specifically about we'll, we can kick it back and forth and talk about the first step of that is Holy discontent. So the change equation that I put together was you've got to overcome resistance to change. And so what's greater than resistance to change? And maybe I should define resistance to change first, just so that we kind of get this idea of what are we doing? And I think um, this is what we're trying to overcome. So resistance to change is any word, threat, or act designed to derail intimidate, slow, upend, forward progress towards the accomplishment of God's revealed vision, right? So what's the church supposed to do? It's supposed to pursue pursue God's vision for a church as it's described in the scriptures. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens to church is that they don't end up pursuing what God wants for the church. And so then you find yourself in in the situation where you've got to lead them forward. So what what can overcome resistance to change as I, change as I just described it? Here, here are the things that I put together. So think of your algebra equation. Did you ever take algebra, Jimbo, in, in uh, middle school or high school?
0: Yeah, I, I took algebra. I was not good at it at all. As a matter of fact, see, I, I, it's the only, part of the reason, one of the many reasons I got a theater degree is it only required one math class. there you go i I took college algebra i got a tutor before i even went to class i signed up for a tutor and (laughs) and i worked hard and i got a c and i was happy with that c check the
1: box you got it done right and then i and
0: i that was a happier day for me than graduation because it meant i would never have to take a math class ever again in my entire life and now i just finished a doctoral degree and I've yet to take another math class, and I, it just feels incredible that I'll never have to do that.
1: Well, I want to salute you for navigating that and accomplishing that through your your postgraduate work and your doctoral work. Fantastic job. Way to go.
0: Thank you. All well, right. The best part, the best part is it didn't include math. There you go. Well, <laughs> I did take – so what, I will say this. Your equation does remind me. There's another class that for some reason I was good at was Logic. And we, yeah. had formula, we had formulas similar to this in, in yeah. the logic class that I took.
1: All right. So algebra, logic, here we go. The the change equation, you have resistance to change all the way to the right. And you have to get something greater than that. So put a greater than sign on the left side of the resistance to change. And we'll put this graphic somehow up for you guys on the on the show notes. What do you got to have? to overcome resistance to change. The first thing is holy discontent, then vision, then you have to have first steps, practical steps, and then you have to exercise leadership or have leadership. If you can get all of those things working together, you have a greater opportunity, I think, to overcome resistance to change. And so that's kind of the whole equation. And then the first thing that you've asked me to talk about is holy discontent. So let me give you a definition Mm -hmm that I put together for holy discontent. Holy discontent is the unquenchable spirit initiated conviction that things are not as they should be and that that must change. Mm -hmm. And so it's when you walk into a church and the church is divided and you just just say, man, it can't be like this, right? We can't do this. Mm -hmm. You see that the church is just not engaged in its community, that they're their discipleship is lacking. All those sorts of things that they they uh, are hindered by unaddressed sin, whatever it is inside of a a church that keeps them from pursuing and fulfilling what God has called them to. And you just can't stand it anymore. And you've got this discontent that things cannot stay the way they same. Most of the time, Jimbo, I think that um, churches get in a position where they're they're content with how they are and what and what things are. Uh, happening in their church and how things are going. Like, they're content with the old church smell. They're content with the, you know, the lackluster and passion and worship. They're content with a lot of things. And I'm sure you've seen churches that have just kind of grown content with how things are, and they're not really willing to do anything about it.
0: hmm Yeah, I think I was reading recently, I'm almost done with a book called Canoeing the Mountains by yeah. uh, Todd Bolsinger. And he... <laughs> He talks about several times. This is not how he defines leadership. He talks about how change leadership, in, in a lot of ways, is disappointing the people you're leading at a rate that they can accept it because of yeah. where you're going. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so there is a big part of like you. you he said if change leadership requires disappointing the people you're leading because they they are comfortable where they're at. They don't want to go a different direction necessarily. And so it's, but you're disappointing them at a rate that they're willing to accept because of where we're going. And so that holy discontentment there—that's that's such a good way to put it. Because what we're not talking about is a sense of urgency in this. Here, here's what a sense of urgency could—you could be urgent about the wrong thing, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, you're a lot of times I've encountered churches and church members where the sense of urgency is merely about being able to pay the bills or making sure there are young people at the church again. And they'll say, can't some church just send us some young people? Or you know, or can't some church just help us pay for for this issue to replace this air conditioner or whatever? And and there's not a understanding of what's actually happening, but a holy discontentment. If it's holy, it's it's driven by an understanding of the purpose of the church and the purpose of being a disciple and so holy discontentment by the very na- nature of being holy will hit the target every time of where we what what it is we need to be discontent about and the reason we're discontent is because we desire to be everything God desires us to be
1: yeah and that's um <clears throat> I think the the idea of the spirit initiating that discontent is really key here because like you said we can be frustrated by any number of things and and when I walked into my replant that was the case I was like this frustrates me right it it just it's disturbing to me but those the things that I was frustrated by were maybe not the 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 preeminent issues facing the church and so I think when when we step into a revitalization or replant situation One of the questions perhaps we ask is, you know, God, what breaks your heart about this congregation specifically? Like, what are you disturbed by? And you think about the letters to the churches in in the first part of Revelation, and there were some real specific things that they were doing really good things, some of them, and some of them were struggling with things, right? And some of them were doing, you know, had good things and bad things. But the message of the Lord to you as the, the leader of the church, Lord, what breaks your heart in the leaders of the church, right? And how do you... Help them become discontent with, with things that God that bother God or that that aren't consistent with His mission for the church. So, so I think that the, the spirit's initiation is real key. And the other part too is, is you got to have a vision about how things should be, right? You got to have a, a spirit-initiated frustration or conviction uh, that things that are existing are not as they should be. Well, how should? What should it be like, right? What is this idea? So, so we're gonna get to vision soon, but there's there's this idea that, man, this, this should not be like this. And, and instead, you have this vision that God's given you through the scriptures about how the church should be and what it should do and how it should relate to one another. And that is grounded in his word, not just in your opinion or somebody else's model of church.
0: Yeah. So how if you're if you're a pastor in replant revitalization and you're seeing, man, this is what we're lacking right now is a holy discontentment how would you recommend someone go about pursuing that for the congregation and not one obviously it kind of maybe has to start with the pastor themselves but how does he then one one if he doesn't have that how does he pursue that and then two how does he help the congregation come to that holy discontentment as well
1: yeah. Well, you know, what do they say that, that preaching is the the steering wheel of the church or it's the driver of the church or the rudder of the church. And so I think your, your preaching has to highlight the fact that God's given a vision for what the church should look like. And wherever your church is less than that, or wherever we are less than that, right? God always calls us to, to follow him and and discipleship is, is must making Jesus Lord of, our, of every area of our life in an increasing way over a period of time, right? That's kind of a definition. And so are there any areas where that's just not the case or that, that I'm as a believer or we as believers corporately aren't representing what a vital, vibrant body is? who loves Jesus and, and obeys God looks like. So so I think you one is, is your study of Scripture and your preaching of Scripture have to, you know, they, you have to highlight that. Like, here's what God's called us to. And let the Word of God be active and let the Spirit of God convict people in in ways that, that you can't, right? I, I've, I've tried for a lot of times on Sundays to try to talk the, con, the congregation into doing stuff. that I thought was, hey, we should do this, or I was passionate about it, but the Lord wasn't really moving in that direction, right? And -hmm. and it it was an opinion, and it, it wasn't based in Scripture. So, you know, I just think of, like, let's just take one simple example, you know, worship. And what do, what do the Psalms say about us entering into worship? And is there any place where it says sing for joy and shout for joy and, and be thankful and be celebrative and, you know, be reflective and you know, all those things? And perhaps maybe the, the reality of our worship is not quite where it would be in direct line with Scripture. And so maybe you do a series on worship. And if that's let's say that's one of your holy discontent areas, you would say, man, um We've got to to think through, pray through and preach through uh, what does it mean to be a vibrant worshiper of God and also lead through what does that mean for us as we come to worship? Like little things like we all got to get here on time, right? (laughs) Or we got to structure some things differently where we have some scripture reading, where we, you know, share some testimony with something, right? And so I think that's probably the way I would start going about it is just saying, Lord, what are those areas where we're just not? Living in in a way as as a corporate body, where you want us to be, and then thinking through with your leaders and preaching and praying and and uh, discipling towards that.
0: What would you say is the key different or are key differences between just regular old discontentment? I just don't like the way things are, and a holy discontentment. Like what? How how do we how do we decide which is which? Because sometimes I think we are so set in our minds, even even as guys, younger guys, maybe going into a church and we've got a way that we think like, oh, you know, there's a better way to do this and should, this is the way we've got to do it. and And kind of like you were just saying, like we have an opinion or a preference about something. But I think sometimes even with that, we get confused on our preferences and decide that they are holy ordinances. And uh, and it's not just and I think it's one of the things we have to recognize as replanters and revitalizers, that it's not just the uh, the members of a dying church that do that. We do that. We have preferences that we hold so tightly to that we confuse sometimes. And and when things aren't that way, we'll have a, a discontentment about us. But it's not necessarily a holy discontentment. And so how would we go about deferring, differentiating? what kind of discontentment we're experiencing?
1: Yeah, great question. I I guess, you know, one of the one of the things when I did this presentation, it took me to the book of Nehemiah, because I think here's a leader who had to overcome contentment and complacency, like if there ever was, right, people were living with uh, a wall around their city that was, you know, just down. So for us, that's hard for us to understand unless you live like in New Orleans and you got the gate, you know, that guards your house or you're in a gated community. But just imagine you're living without a front door and a back door and any lot like it's just open. Right. People can just come in. You're vulnerable, etc. So he looked at that and he was really upset by that. And and then in the first part of Nehemiah verses three and four, here's what it says. He, he understands. hears what's happening. And then he he goes through this process. And I think maybe this will get to the answer to that question. Um, he said, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And here's what he says. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he saw something and it impacted him emotionally and he mm-hmm. grieved over it. Now, I guarantee you, every single replanter that I know has grieved over the worship and the business meetings mm-hmm. and the <laughs> bylaws and the, the crazy decorations and all that kind of stuff, all right, that's all preference issues, right? But then it says this, and he says this, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so, man, I think one of the sanctifying things to do in, in this process of thinking about holy discontent is just simply saying, God is what upsets me about the church really upsetting to you Or is there something else that is greater in your mind that you are uh, heartbroken by about our church, right? Mm. And clarifying that before the Lord and really kind of laying that at his feet before you broadcast that. You know, we could go in with a vision to, to change worship. And it's not that the worship may not be our style or preference, but it's not bad. It's just not our style or our preference. So I think really going in and... And asking the Lord and spending a time in prayer and fasting and just asking him to bring clarity to you know is this really um, is is what upsetting me really upsetting to you?
0: yeah one exercise I've heard of uh, some leaders t- ch- taking churches through is um, studying the the letters to the churches in revelation and then mm-hmm. the exercise is then asking, if, if God were to write a letter to our church right now, what what would it say, right, in, in comparison and in contrast to the kinds of things that we see that he calls out in the seven churches in, <clears throat> in the book of Revelation? And I think that if we can be honest about that and pursue the Lord on that and, and ask, even as we're studying the seven churches, like, is this true of us? Is this true yeah. of me, of my heart, of what's going on with me right now? And so that's where I think, you know, a recommended resource that we we put out all the time is uh, Flickering Lamps with Henry and Richard Blackaby. kind of walks through uh, those letters to the churches in Revelation and helps identify some of those things. It's not necessarily... To use that, but just a, a resource that could be helpful. But I think that's one way, like you're saying, of pursuing the Lord and asking the Lord, "What are these things that maybe need to be identified in our leadership?" And just that question, man. If you really sit in, in that question and just think, man, if if God were to write a letter like that to us, what would it say?
1: Yeah, it's a great a great example and. Um, you know, my my description of it was a little open ended, and I really appreciate how you bring it back to scripture, and and because I think that w- we've got to let the scripture speak to us as pastors and as churches, mm-hmm. and and so I think being um, widely read and consistently re- re- reading scripture, um, along with your leaders and discerning together often. Uh, What's the character of a Christ follower and what's the Mm -hmm. character of a church full of Christ followers who are following Jesus? And maybe asking those questions and then looking at scriptures and then saying, where where are the places where we're not quite there? And uh, Mm -hmm. that may start a list of of opportunities to begin to address uh, that would, you know, develop holy discontent in your in you and in the church body that you could begin addressing through biblical means.
0: Yeah, that's great Um, Bob, this has been, I think The beginning of what will probably be A few different episodes Where we'll kind of walk through some of this That you've put out in the change equation Of holy discontent plus vision Plus first steps Plus leadership is greater Than a resistance to change This is how you overcome and build congregational momentum So uh, Continue to tune in As we'll dive further into this subject A little bit as we go We'd love to hear directly from you as our listener and how we can best serve you. What are questions you want us to discuss? What are things you'd like us to talk about? And how can we join you as your boots on the ground out there doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting and revitalizing dying churches? All right, signing off. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church. O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y dot church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.